Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad that you're here joining with us for our brand new series called Mending Fences. And if you're not familiar with what that phrase means, here's what it means. It means to improve or repair a relationship that has been damaged by an argument or disagreement. And that's really what we wanna take a look at over the next four weeks. How do we improve? How do we deepen? How do we sustain and mend and better our relationships, our friendships, and our connections? Because this is just true for you and it's true for me. It's true whether you're a follower of Jesus or whether you aren't a follower of Jesus, that truthfully, relationships are the spaces and places where we find life, where we find meaning, where we actually find depth. They are incredibly important. So much so that actually research has shown that if you have healthy and strong relationships, your actual physical health and physical well-being will actually be better. So they have found that if you have really strong and good relationships, you are less likely to get sick, you recover faster from surgery, and you are two to five times less likely to have a major health crisis. That's just how important friendships and relationships and connections are. Or another researcher found that without strong relationships, it's the equivalent health-wise to smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. That's the detriment to your health that not having strong relationships can be. So what we want to explore over this series is really how do you have then strong relationships? How do you mend relationships if there's been some fraying or some distance or some strain and some stress? How do you ensure that these spaces where you actually encounter really life and meaning and hope, how do you make sure that they stay strong? Because here at Bethany, here's what we believe, okay? We believe that this church and our church is really called to change the world starting here in Niagara. And the way that we believe we're called to do that is to be changed by Jesus and then to join Jesus in changing lives. That we believe that lives are changed in the context of relationships, of being together, of friendships and connections. Jesus himself actually says this. He says, do you wanna know where you can find the kingdom of God? He says in Luke, he says it's found among you in your connections, in your relationships, and in your friendships with one another. So for this series, we want to then take a look at, because we really do believe in lives being changed, we want to take a look at is how can we support our friendships and our relationships and our connections to make sure that our lives are changed and others as well. Because I won't speak for you, but I'll speak for myself. That I know in the past two years, in the past two years, COVID and all that has gone on, it's actually caused some strain and some stress on some of my friendships and some of my relationships that I have with people. That there has been some really beautiful moments of friendship and connection in the past, you know, two years. Even in the past few um, weeks and months, uh, we had friends of ours kind of drop everything to watch our kids when Krista and I wanted to go away together because the people who were planning on watching our kids got COVID and couldn't do it. Or even just like last week. Last week, I actually had some people give me a Taco Bell gift card because you all know I love to celebrate Easter with a crunch wrap. Like that's kind of how things go. So there's been really beautiful moments of friendship and connection in the past few years. But there's also been some moments of strain. Maybe you felt that as well. Where all of a sudden some relationships just seem to require some more work, some more effort, and that even some are feeling a bit divided and strained and difficult. So for this series, we want to take a look at then how can you mend relationships? How can you actually make sure that they are strong and healthy? Because these are the spaces where you not only connect with one another, but actually connect with God as well. So for the next four weeks, what we're going to take a look at is mending. That's what we're going to take a look at today. How do you mend a frayed relationship? Next, we're going to take a look at choosing, making sure that each of our decisions is actually in light of the future when it comes to our relationships. Then we're gonna take a look at the importance of forgiving because you can't have healthy relationships where forgiveness is not a common practice and a rhythm. And then lastly, we wanna take a look at committing. How do you commit to one another, even in a space and a world that's so full of consumerism and quick and easy disposable relationships? How do we make sure that we actually have long lasting ones? 
So that's what we're going to take a look at over the next four weeks. We're going to take a look at mending, at choosing, at forgiving, and committing. Mending, choosing, forgiving, and committing. And so to begin with today, I do want to talk about how do you then mend relationships if they've been maybe a bit frayed or strained or under some stress uh, because of all that we've been going through? Whether that's at work, in your family, in other places, that's what we want to take a look at today. And to do that, we want to take a look at a passage, really right where we kind of left off uh, really last week. We want to take a look at John uh, 21, where Jesus meets with Peter and how Jesus actually restores a frayed and a broken relationship with Peter. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to John 21. Now, if you don't know much about kind of Jesus and Peter, um, Peter as a person, he's a follower of, of Jesus. He's a disciple of Jesus. And he tends to kind of be either like hot or cold, either fully in or fully out. That's kind of how things go with him. And so I want to pick up the story directly after Jesus's resurrection. And I want to read what ends up happening and let's see what goes on. We read this, that later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. And this is how it happened. Several disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel um, from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. Now, when you read the book of John specifically, the book of John is highly symbolic. He's writing intentionally symbolic, kind of heavy uh, metaphor uh, within his passages. He gives lots of kind of like wink winks and nudge nudges in the passages. They're meant to be interpreted and really read into in a lot of ways. So here, when Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing, this is John's way of really telling us that what Peter is doing in his life is he is regressing in his life. That's what this passage is about, that Peter is actually regressing in his life. Because this is just true for all of us. You can either be moving forwards or moving backwards in life. And right now, Peter in his life, he's actually moving backwards. Because when he says that I'm going fishing, this is not like Peter just saying, I'm going to go have like a lazy Saturday on the river. Really what this is, is this is Peter giving up where he is at to go back to what once was. Because you see, before, before Peter met Jesus, he was a fisherman. This was his calling. This was his uh, vocation. This is what he did. And now, now Jesus and Peter's relationship actually has become very frayed. If you remember even from the Good Friday service, Larry shared on how Peter really betrayed Jesus. Peter denied Jesus. Peter said that Jesus didn't matter to him whatsoever. And so after Jesus' death and resurrection, Peter doesn't know what quite to do. So he does what often many of us do. He actually tries to find meaning in what once was. He tries to go back to the life he once had. He's going to go back to fishing, and let's find out what happens in this moment. So it says this, Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too. They all said, so they went out into the boat, but they caught nothing at all. Okay. They went out into the boat, but they caught nothing at all. And this is so often what life is really like. The moment we try to actually find what once was, like it's just no longer there. Because this is just true, and this might not sound deep, but it is. But you cannot go back to what was. You can only move forward into what could be. Okay? So often, we are so often focused on trying to just recreate or grasp what was behind us in the past. But it doesn't work. That's what Peter is experiencing. He's just trying to go back to when things made sense. Trying to go back to when things were certain and secure. But he can't, actually. Because even in him trying to go back to be a fisherman, what does it say? That he caught nothing. He can't even do that right anymore. So Peter's in a really difficult place. That's where he is at. He's in a really confused place. He's a fisherman who can't fish. And he also has given up on following Jesus, right? Because he's betrayed him. So it's into this space I want to read what happens next. It says this, at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. So he called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. 
Then he said, throw out your net on the right side of the boat and you'll get some. And so they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water and headed to shore. This is Peter like being hot or cold. As soon as he hears that it's like Jesus, he's like, I'm in. I'm not even going to wait for the boat. I'm going to swim to shore to meet with Jesus. It says this then, then the other stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net from the shore for they were only about a hundred yards from shore. When they got there though, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. You notice something there? Do you notice how the text doesn't say anything about Peter's interaction with Jesus? The text is clear, really, that Peter jumps in and that he goes there first. He arrives at, with Jesus first. But then the text doesn't name any interaction between Jesus and Peter. It's almost as if Peter just gets there and then is just silent with Jesus. All it says is that there's kind of breakfast cooking there. And I think that's actually what actually happened. I think that Peter rushed there, got there, and then said nothing to Jesus. And there was just this awkward, weird silence between them. And explain why I think there is an awkward, weird silence between them. I want to share with you a little bit about what triggers are. Okay? Now, triggers, what they can be, are often small things that represent big things. Okay? Triggers are often small things that represent big things. And they're things that when we come across them, they can instantly transport us, almost subconsciously, right back to a moment in our lives. So, for example, when my dad had passed, uh, there was a worship song that was playing as he had passed. And so now whenever I hear that song, if it ever comes on like the radio or whatever else, I'm instantly like transported back there. It's like a trigger for that moment. And that was kind of obviously a negative example, but there's also like positive ones too. If I ever hear the song that Krista walked down to the aisle when we got married, again, I'm instantly transported back to that moment. That triggers can be sights, sounds, smells, whatever it may be, that brings us back to something that has happened. And here in this passage, here in this passage, as soon as Peter shows up, he is triggered to remember his betrayal, to remember his denial. He is triggered to remember the fact that he gave up on Jesus just as he was dying and needed him most. Because what does the text say? That when they get there, Jesus is cooking over a charcoal fire. In the book of John, there are no throwaway details. The book of John, there are no throwaway details. So when John says that Jesus is cooking over a charcoal fire, this is meant for us to realize that Peter is being triggered and pulled right back into his betrayal. Because notice with me, I want to read to you what um, happens around Peter's betrayal of Jesus just a few chapters earlier. We read this, okay, around the first, second, and third betrayal. So here's what happened. Simon Peter followed Jesus as, uh, as did another of the disciples. That other disciple was acquainted with the high priest, so he was allowed to enter the high priest's courtyard with Jesus. Peter had to stay outside the gate. Then the disciple who knew the high priest spoke to the woman watching at the gate, and she let Peter in. The woman asked Peter, you're not uh, one of those man's disciples, are you? No, he said, I am not. Peter denies that he has any association with Jesus. But because it was cold, follow with me, listen to this. Because it was cold, the household servants and the guards had made a charcoal fire and they stood around it warming themselves and Peter stood with them warming himself. That's the first denial. He's standing around a charcoal fire the moment that he says to Jesus and to all those around them that I don't, I don't follow Jesus. I don't know him. I don't care for him. Meanwhile, as Simon Peter was standing by the fire, again, a charcoal fire, warming himself, they asked him again, you're not one of the disciples, are you? He denied it saying, no, I am not. But one of the household slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked again, didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Jesus? Again, Peter denied it. 
and immediately a rooster crowed. So what we see here is that when Peter gave up on Jesus, when he denied him, it happened around a charcoal fire. So I think what ends up happening in this story is that Peter hears that it's Jesus. He jumps into the water and he swims there and he gets there. And as soon as he sees that charcoal fire, as soon as he smells in that smoke, he is instantly transported back to the moment when he gave up on his Lord and Master and Savior. And so the question is then, the question is, is what do you do when a relationship is that frayed? Right? What do you do when a relationship is that hurt and broken? Because really the relationship between Jesus and Peter is at an all-time low. And Peter is right there living it and wondering, what do you do? And so it's as if, it's as if Peter kind of comes across Jesus and then just realizes all of his past mistakes and he's unsure of what to do. And I think in some ways, this is something that many of us can relate to. Where all of a sudden you encounter someone, where you run into someone that you have a frayed relationship with. Where all of a sudden you're not quite sure what to do. This is why, this is why if you're at the grocery store, sometimes all of a sudden you choose cereal for a very long time, right? To just try to avoid actually interacting with that person. Or maybe it's just like me that does that. This is why sometimes if you're at a party and then all of a sudden someone else walks in that you have a hurt relationship with, it's all of a sudden like you're right back in that moment of hurt and betrayal and you're unsure what to do. Or for me, whenever I have these um, kind of moments, they're often in wildly public awkward spaces. A few years ago, um, as I've told you before, in high school, I wasn't a very good person and I had uh, a few ex-girlfriends that I did not treat well, like whatsoever. And so a few years ago, I'm actually doing a wedding and I'm leading the wedding party down the main kind of aisle. And as I'm leading them down the aisle, I hear someone yell out from the crowd. They yell out, Andrew Mills? You know, that's kind of what they yelled out, minus all the expletives that were also a part of it, part of that moment. And it turned out to be my ex-girlfriend in the crowd, you know, seeing me for the first time since an awful breakup. Like these things just sometimes happen. And if, if you don't realize how awkward my life can be, um, for the reception, do you want to know who was sitting right next to me? Yeah, it was my ex-girlfriend. That's just how God sometimes works in my life to bring all these things together, right? The question is, the question is for us, what I think we can relate to is what do you do when you actually encounter someone that you have a frayed and broken and weird relationship with? Whether it's at a wedding, whether it's at a charcoal fire, or whether it's in the grocery store, I think the truth is, is that all of us have relationships that at times can go sideways and go a little sour. The question is, what do we do when we encounter that person? And for us, what we want to pay attention to in this moment is we want to pay attention to, to how does Jesus respond to Peter? What does Jesus do to mend the relationship with Peter? Because what we know is that Peter has broken the relationship. Peter has denied Jesus, and he's right there kind of in that moment, smelling that fire, remembering how he betrayed his Lord and Savior. Let's really pay attention then to what Jesus does to restore the relationship. And he's going to do two things. He's going to name, and he's going to invite. Okay? He's going to name, and he's going to invite. Let me read to you the passage, and then let's um, kind of work through it together. So we read this. Uh, Bring some of the fish that you've caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 150 large fish and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to the disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs. Jesus told him, um, then Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of Jesus, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus kept asking the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Then feed my sheep. 
And there's a lot that's going on in this passage. There's a lot that is packed into it symbolically, theologically, and even in the Greek, different kind of aspects to look at. But I want to take a look at this, like, this interaction through a relational lens, seeing what Jesus does to restore his relationship with Peter and what we can learn from that. And as I said, I really think that he does two things. He names and he invites. And the first thing that Jesus really does is that he names the hurt. He actually names what has happened. He actually names some of the pain and the betrayal that has gone on through asking a question. Jesus just comes right out and he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Because this question is really at the heart of the hurt and broken relationship between Peter and Jesus. He actually asks a really revealing question. He just says, Peter, do you love me? What Jesus does here is he doesn't avoid or ignore the broken or hurt kind of relationship. I think that's often what we do, right? So if we see somebody in the grocery store that we had kind of a difficult relationship, we say, hi, how are you? Not like, oh my goodness, I feel really betrayed by you. If you see somebody at a work conference, you might say, hi, how are things going for you and your kids? Rather than, because of you, I didn't get that promotion or whatever else. We don't often name what's really going on below the surface, but that's what Jesus does. Notice, he just goes to Peter and he just kind of brings it right up. He doesn't avoid it or ignore it. He just asks that question, do you love me? But also notice, in asking the question and in naming the hurt, Jesus does this in a way that isn't condemning or accusing, right? He doesn't say, hey, Peter, why did you betray me? Hey, Peter, why did you give up on me? Hey, Peter, after all I did for you, you couldn't be with me? No, what Jesus does is he asks a really open-ended, vulnerable question to invite Peter, invite Peter to really name some of the hurt that has gone on. So he simply says, do you love me? Do you love me? Jesus doesn't accuse, he just asks the question. And of course, when Jesus asks it three times, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? This is mimicking, really, Peter's three denials, right? Where Peter denied Jesus three times. And so Jesus, in this moment, what he's doing, and the first step to really healing any hurt or frayed or strained relationship is to actually name what's going on. It's to actually name some of the hurt because you can't mend what isn't named. And so Jesus does this in a really vulnerable and a really open way, saying to Peter, do you love me? Ways that we might do that in our relationships are uh, similar to these sort of questions. Maybe you might say, do you love me? Or do you trust me? Do you see that things have changed? Do you feel distant? Do you want to work on this? This is what goes on that Jesus names to Peter in a really open and a beautiful way, the real deep hurt, and he opens it up and invites Peter to respond. So I think that's the first thing. If you're ever going to mend a relationship, you actually need to name what has gone kind of astray and askew and sideways and sour. And then Jesus does that with Peter, saying, do you love me? Because that's where the main kind of hurt was. And then what Jesus does next is he actually invites Peter into a response. That's what he does. He invites Peter into a response. That when Peter says, I do love you, then Jesus invites him to take a step with them together. He says, then feed my sheep, then care for my sheep, or then, then feed my sheep. Jesus in this moment is really inviting Peter to a repairing action, to move forward together. Because Peter was never meant to be fishing. He was meant to actually be feeding sheep. He was meant to be ministering to people. He was meant to be following Jesus with um, others around him. And so what Jesus does in this moment is he calls Peter back to what he's supposed to be doing. And he invites him really to take a step into the future with him. Invites him into what he was called to do, into his vocation and his ministry. He simply says to him, then feed my sheep. And really, when Jesus says feed my sheep, He's really inviting Peter to move forward with him together. And I think if we're ever going to have mended relationships, we need both of those two things. We actually need to name what's going on, but then we also need to take a step forward together. And here is sometimes something 
that we sometimes forget when it comes to frayed or strained or difficult relationships. You can't spend all your time parsing out and talking about what had happened. That that eventually doesn't bring you actually together. You can't spend all your time just trying to figure out who's all to blame in all the different areas and all of that. That you can't just spend all of your time continually rehearsing all that had happened in the past. If you want to have a mended relationship, you actually need to move forward together somehow. And that's what Jesus invites Peter into. He says, if you do love me, if you do want to actually follow me, then this is what we can do together. Then this is where we can go together. Then feed my sheep. Join with me in doing what I'm called to do. He invites Peter to take a step forward with them together. And what we know through this story and through church history then is that Jesus and Peter actually did restore their relationship. Peter became actually a rock and a founding person of the church. And so really what we know is that in this moment is that Jesus does restore Peter and that broken and bruised and frayed relationship that it's mended. And while there's obviously lots more that we could get out of this story, when we look at it through a relational lens, what I think we see is this, that relationships can be mended and restored through naming and inviting. The relationships can be mended and restored through naming and inviting. And that's actually my main point here for today. That if you have any relationships that are at all not like healthy or working out great, that restoration and mending can happen when we learn to name and invite. We learn to name what has gone wrong, but also invite into the future together, invite into the next steps together. This is how we can restore and mend relationships. So practically then, practically then, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us if your relationship with your mother and father-in-law is a little bit rocky? What does this mean for us if you have a coworker who keeps, I don't know, you know, making jabs at you all the time in the midst of meetings or that? What does this mean for you if your neighbor and you just don't get along? Well, I want to invite you three things today, three practical things based out of this story, the things that we can actually do to mend some of our relationships. And they are to discern the question, to choose the next step, and then to actually have the conversation. Okay? So to discern the question, choose the next step, and then to have the conversation. So first, we need to discern the right questions to ask, the right questions to kind of name, the right things to kind of share and to bring up. I think for many of us, when we have a broken or bruised relationship, it is really easy to name the hurt that has happened. It's less easy to name really what's going on kind of below the surface. Right? It's really easy to name what has happened, but maybe not so much what's going on below the surface. Like it'd be really easy for Jesus to turn to Peter and be like, I'm really upset that you betrayed me. But really what's going on below the surface is Jesus needs to know, does Peter truly love him? That's a question that's kind of below things. I think it's easy, as I said, to name the surface thing, to maybe name the fact that like, hey, I can't take any more videos from YouTube that you send me all the time. Or to maybe name the fact that you never seem to be around when I need you. Or to maybe name the fact that when you, you know, yelled at me in front of the coworkers, I was really embarrassed and it hurt. It's easy sometimes to name what has happened, but not the revealing question kind of below it. And that's what I invite you to do. I think you need to actually discern the question that will actually reveal what's really going on. So perhaps, to you those examples I just gave. So perhaps if your mother and father-in-law just continually send you YouTube videos that you don't want. The real question may be, please don't, you know, the real question may be, please don't not send me YouTube videos. The real thing might be, do you actually want to listen to my point of view? That might be the question you need to actually raise with them. That might be the thing below the surface. Or maybe, maybe if somebody isn't there for you when you need them, Maybe the thing you bring up isn't like, why aren't you there for me? And maybe actually maybe to reveal this kind of a question to say, am I a priority for you? Do you actually want to be with me? Do you miss me at all? And if you maybe have a difficult interaction with someone at work, maybe the point isn't just to name what has happened, but to actually name the real depth of it and to say, actually in that moment, did you know that was really embarrassing for me? Or that was really hurtful to me? What I think Jesus does here with beautiful clarity, vulnerability, and openness 
is to name what is really going on in the relationship and invite Peter to respond. He names what's really going on in the relationship and invites Peter to respond. He says, Peter, do you love me? He doesn't accuse, he doesn't condemn, he doesn't just bring up all in the past. He actually invites Peter to reveal where he is at. And I think we need to do the same thing. I think we need to discern the right question to ask in maybe troubled or rocky relationships. We need to think through what is the right question that we need to be talking about. It might be, do you love me? It might be, do you want to be friends anymore? It might be, do you trust me? It might be, do you want to keep working together? It might be, do you understand what really matters to me? It might be any number of questions. But I think if we're going to actually learn to mend our relationships, we need to be like Jesus and ask that really vulnerable, open-ended, revealing question that really gets at the hurt that's there when Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? So that's the first step, is to discern the right question to ask. The one that kind of names the hurt, the one that kind of reveals it, but again, not in in an accusing or condemning way. Second step then, is really to choose the next right step. Because honestly, all relationships, if they're actually gonna be mended and move forward, they can't just rehash everything that's gone into the past, they also need to move forward together. And we see that with Jesus, where he says, then let's feed my sheep, let's go about ministry together, let's get back on track. And so I think in any relationship then, you need to also spend time thinking through what might be the next right step to restore it, right? What might be the next right step to restore it? So if your marriage is rocky, Maybe the next right step is a date night. Maybe it's counseling. Maybe it's actually just having a night that, or there's no interruptions with your favorite food and movie or whatever it might be. That might be the next right step to kind of mend things, to say, would you like to do this with me? Maybe if it's a friendship that's gone a little bit askew or sideways, then maybe the next right step is to, I don't know, go out for coffee together. Maybe it's to go, you know, play some sports together. Maybe it's go to hang out or to see a movie or a barbecue. What is the next right step that might move you forward together? Maybe if it's with a coworker that things have just gone a little bit sideways then. Maybe the next right step is to simply ask, do you want to work on a project again together? Do you want to hang out after work? Do you want to go out for lunch or whatever it may be? That what I really believe is that if we are actually going to mend relationships, we need to not only name, but invite into the next step forward. And this next step, follow with me, this next step doesn't need to be massive and giant. It just needs to be in the right direction. That this next step doesn't need to be massive and giant. It just needs to be in the right right direction. So for example, here's some of the steps that I've taken in the past, like, I don't know, year with some relationships that are a little bit rocky. So for example, when Kristen and I, um, when she was in placement and things were really kind of stressed and strained, what we started to do, we were kind of feeling that strain in our relationship, was to name it and just be like, I feel like like I'm really stressed and we're kind of uh, not as close as we were. Our next right step was just for us to go on a walk whenever we had free time together. We would just go for a walk around the block and just spend some time together. And that was so healing and really meaningful for us. It was a simple thing to do, but it started to restore things and move it in the right direction. Well, for example, here's another one. Um, With my brothers, we were feeling a little bit less connected because of all that was going on. So what we started to do weekly was to play Call of Duty online, okay? So don't judge me, but that's what we do, okay? And we talk and we actually feel a little bit more connected. Or for example, with another friend where, again, I felt there was just some distance. We went to go see a movie or I've gone out for a meal or sometimes I've just texted someone and said, you know, I want to hang out again. These are simple next right steps, but they can make all the difference. So in terms of mending a relationship, learning from Jesus, what I want to invite you to do is first to discern the right question to be asking, how Jesus does the same way with do you love me? And then also to choose really the next right step. Like what might it be for you to actually restore and move forward together? And then lastly, what I want to invite you to do, and this is the hardest one, is to actually just have the hard conversation, is to actually just ask that question and invite for the next step, is to actually take that step and go to them and say, hey, hey, here's where things are at. And I think this can be difficult and I think it can be hard at times, but it also can be incredibly freeing. 
Because in the past year, I've had some of these more challenging conversations. As you all know, I'm kind of awkward to begin with, right, in many different ways. And I can remember running into someone, and I just kind of blurted out, this is kind of my opening to them. I feel like things have changed between us. Do you want to work at that? I just asked the honest question about where things were at. With somebody else, I had a Zoom call with them to kind of work on issues or whatever. And the very first thing I began with was just this. I wanted to begin with one of those revealing open questions. So I just asked them, do you trust me? Like, before we get into anything, like, do you trust me? Or somebody else, where again, there had been distance. I just named it. I said, like, I feel like we're kind of drifting apart. Do you want to work at that? And sometimes these um, interactions have gone good, and sometimes they haven't, right? There's no guarantee on that. So for example, with the person where I said, do you trust me? They blurted out instantly, no, and I never have, which was kind of rough to hear in that moment. But it was also, it was also very, very freeing. Because what ended up happening with that, I realized that I don't need to then try to hold on to a relationship that somebody else had already given up on, right? That's what that revealed to me. I don't need to hold on to a relationship that somebody else had already given up on. And so what I really want to suggest to you is that if, if you want to have healthy relationships, if you want to have spaces where you receive joy and meaning, they require work, they require energy, they require some effort. And the ways that we can mend relationships where maybe there's been some fraying, some strain or some stress is pretty simple. Hard to do, but simple to kind of start. It's to first discern the right question to ask. Then it's about what is the next right step. And then lastly, it's just to have that conversation. So I want to challenge you this week. I want to challenge you this week to put effort into mending a relationship. That's what I want to invite you to do, to put effort into mending a relationship. Maybe that relationship is with a spouse. Maybe it's with a coworker, with a family member, somebody in your home church. I don't know what it might be. I want to invite you to put some effort into mending a relationship. And if all of your relationships are amazing and none of them need any mending, well, I think that's great for you. But I also know for many of us, that may not be actually where we're kind of living right now. So I want to invite you to put some effort into mending a relationship. Think through, what's that question you need to reveal? Like, what's really going on at the relationship where there is stress and strain? Why is it that this person out of the 7 billion in the world might be bothering you? What is it? Think through the question. Then invite them to the next right step, whatever it might be. Ask them the question, do you want to work on this? Do you love me? Do you trust me? Do you sense we're sliding? Whatever it may be. And then choose the next right step, whether that's coffee, whether that's a movie, a concert, whatever it could be together. And then take time to actually have that conversation. Because here's what I know, and likely what you know as well, is that when our relationships are healthy and whole and amazing, that's when we feel the fullest. That's when we feel the most life and meaning. But what we also know is that relationships do require effort and initiative and some time. So I want to invite you to just put time into the right things, into relationships. Because what Jesus teaches us is that even the most difficult relationships, even when they've been really afraid, when Peter says to him, I don't care for you at all, I don't want to be with you, is that through these steps of really naming and inviting, that there can be sometimes mending and restoration if both parties are willing. So what I want to invite you to do is to do that this week, to spend time actually investing and mending your relationships. And because I really believe that this is where we're going to find life and meaning and hope. And then obviously over the next three weeks, we're going to dive much more practically into this too. Find other things we can do to make sure that we have healthy and strong relationships. But I think it begins with naming and inviting. I want to challenge you this week. Would you just spend some effort on actually improving a relationship that you have? Because it's worth it and it's needed. And I think that's what, uh, where we find life. And that's what this series, Mending Fences, is all about. So with that, would you join with me in prayer here today? Dear God, I ask... I ask God if there are some relationships that are just a little bit more rocky. I pray, God, would you give us discernment? I pray would you give us wisdom on what to say and what to ask. 
I also pray would you give us courage to have sometimes those conversations that can be so freeing and actually bring restoration. I pray, God, would you give us really the right words to say? And would you help us, God, to be open and to be caring? And might we seek to follow you in all that we do? And I pray this all in the wonderful name of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. So with that, we do want to invite you to take that next step and really to work at developing and mending your relationships around you. Obviously, some of the ways that we can support you is we have home churches where we can actually practice journeying together. That's an excellent thing. And then throughout actually our series in May, we're going to have spaces and places for you to build even new relationships because we know that relationships matter. So we're going to have lots of extra connection points. I want to invite you to make sure that you check out our website for all of that. And then other than that, grace and peace. Bye-bye.